BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome back to This One's a Doozy. I'm Kevin. And I'm Haley. And we talk about stories of mystery, true crime, and folklore of the unusual, unsettling, and oftentimes unsavory goings-on of our world today, yesterday, and long ago. It's true. And we can do that even when we are afflicted. We can. With a nasally beast. Nasally beast. Exhausted from all of the things. Mm. We've had an eventful week. We have. Very eventful week. We have. I had to fix our refrigerator. We had a tire go flat. One of our children broke our toilet by putting uh-huh. everything known to man down it yep. in like three seconds yep. flat. So and then flushing it. Yes, that that also has not our dryer's been fixed broken. Yet. And our dryer, yeah. <laughs> we got work we got, to do. We got two out of four done. We're fifty percent of the way through, yes. but we still found time to sit down and record. Yes, we did. Which is good. Commitment. Commitment. Commitment to the craft. So that being said, what are we drinking tonight? You know what? I was feeling it's a blizzard. Yeah. Out here. Well, not really. It's like an ice blizzard. Just sheets of ice. Yes. And it's cold and it's gray outside and not in the cozy way. And so I went with a nice hot peppermint tea. Ooh, look at you. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. I I went very basic tonight. And this will be maybe a letdown for most listeners. I am drinking water from the tap. So oh, we've seen yes. you put alcohol in your tea. So this is true. This is a, this is true. I did not grab, this is dire straits. <laughs> I did not grab uh, ice cubes with vodka infused inside. That wouldn't melt <laughs> anyway. I don't know why <laughs> I would say that, but uh, yes, there's nothing there's no in tricks there. here. No tricks. Straight agua. <laughs> oh, classic. Yes. But that's as simple as it gets for our drinks. Honestly, that is so far. I'm pretty sure, right? Have mm-hmm. we had any more? I think tea and water is definitely the the bare bottom of oh, basic simple drinks. Not a big deal. Yeah, which is I, I think, would agree. I mean, you know, it's good to shake it every once in a while. Yeah. Well, now we got to know what feel good fact you have for us today. So, <laughs> the state vegetable of Oklahoma is watermelon. Oh yes, it's an interesting state vegetable. That is a great state vegetable. Interestingly, I love how vegetable-y it is. Yes. Well, 
Hold on, okay. Kevbot. Okay. Watermelons are actually classified as a fruit and a vegetable because oh. they came from the cucumber and gourd family, which are vegetables. Interesting. So it kind of gets both. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. It grows on a vine in, in the So do grapes. The that's a bad argument. Oh, that's fair, I guess. I, I don't know. I'm not a botanist. I don't know what I'm You're talking not. about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a vegetableologist. <laughs> I, I took a I took a class, a horticulture. That's what it is. I took a horticulture class in high school, and I passed barely. But you passed. But I passed. I'm proud of you. And my teacher said, wow, this is not a very good end of semester project, but you pass. And I was like, thank goodness. <laughs> Probably were like, please don't send this man or this oh. boy through my class again. Yes. I'm passing was, him. Honestly, that's probably what it was. He was like, <laughs> he barely made it and I'm going to let it happen. <laughs> I don't want him to come and do this to me again. Oh, that's why I don't know anything about plants because it's like his life's passion and you it, fail honestly, to understand his life's passion. L- listen, it was, <laughs> and I'll say that with a lot of confidence that, uh, that teacher was so invested in gardens and gardening. I love that. Honestly, it's something that as an adult, I'm not good at it, but I appreciate it now in a way I didn't when I was 17. Sure. But uh, (laughs) yeah, I definitely was one of his least favorite students because I just refused to actually care, which I I know. I I know. The thing is though, I was a music kid and I was like, oh, gardens are cool, but like I would rather go do this other stuff. And that's what happened. So Nay, nay. The plants are not for me. I know. I must rebel so I can go play guitar yes. elsewhere. Yes. Yeah. Which is sad because I, I do like that stuff now. I'm just not good at it. Probably because I didn't listen in high school. <laughs> in all of our kids. Class. All of our kids keep saying, Mom, when do we get to do a garden? One of them said they're going to go plant their apple seeds. Yeah. That they've been saving from their apples. Oh my gosh, yeah. Like, no, you may not that. do that. You may not. You <laughs> cannot. <laughs> All right. We're uh, but anyway, we're on oh, a yeah. tangent and we need to be done. All right. Well, my love, what is the story you have for us this week? So we're going to jump back into the world of true crime for today's story. Mm. This episode's topic will be extremely familiar to horror fans, true crime junkies, and history buffs alike. We are heading over to Scotland and traveling back in time. In the 18th and 19th centuries, Edinburgh was the place to be if you wanted to learn. This is our second time talking about Edinburgh. Is it? I'm pretty sure we had another story about something happened in Edinburgh. Did we? I do love to say Edinburgh. I know you do. So maybe it was just in conversation. Either way. Either way, it's a great place. So the Scottish Enlightenment was in full swing with major advancements in multiple fields going on. In order to teach and train up doctors to be... Professors used recently deceased human bodies that they would dissect in a surgeon's theater, giving students Mm. the opportunity to watch and learn all there was to know about the human body. This led to a problem, however. The demand for freshly deceased remains was much, much higher than the supply. And with that, grave robbing became a successful income opportunity for those people who were not afraid to get their hands dirty. Oh. Once the public was aware that people were pulling up the bodies of the recently deceased and selling them to medical schools, there was a crackdown in local graveyards in hopes of preventing such undignified <sighs> deeds. Like yeah. the idea of your wow. family member being pulled up out of the ground and sold is so shockingly oh, yeah. gross just disrespectful and upsetting. And yeah. 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 With grave robbing becoming more challenging and with the demand only increasing, a pair of friends, William Burke and William Hare, decided to try something different. 
Instead of digging up a freshly buried grave and pulling out the corpse, they decided to create their own. Oh. Up the close and down the stair, in the house with Burke and Hare. Burke's the butcher, Hare's the thief, Knox the man that buys the beef. Oh my gosh. This is the story of Burke and Hare and the anatomy murders. <sighs> Hang on, Kev. This one's a doozy. I just I, slapped an old Scottish uh, poem on you. You did, and... Sorry about that. You went from, oh, this is like kind of interesting history, to suddenly gruesome. Oh, you yeah. just You just slapped me in the face with, with that, honestly. Like, oh, this, is, this got dark very fast. So, okay. So, William Hare was born in 1807 in Northern Ireland. Hare worked a job at the Newry Canal uh, driving teams of horses, but was fired when he killed one of the horses in a fit of rage. Hmm. With limited work available at the time, Hare decided to make his way to Scotland with just a few meager possessions. Quickly after arriving in Scotland, he got a job at the Union Canal between Edinburgh and Glasgow. He made connections with a man named Logue Laird, who ran a lodging house for people down on their luck. Rent was affordable, and this place would give Hare the opportunity to kind of get his feet on the ground, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. while he was trying to establish himself in a new city. Yeah. When Logue passed away, Hare and Logue's widow, Margaret, got together and ran the lodging house together. So, like, romantic. Mm, yeah. So, they were kind of unofficially married, and they were just kind of doing the lodging house business together. Okay, yeah. So, while the Hares weren't broke without a chance, like, they're not, like, desperately broke, uh-huh. they were always kind of one minor inconvenience away oh, sure. from losing everything. Yeah. Like, one thing goes wrong. Yeah, like the average American family today. That's great. Unfortunately, <laughs> yes. So, we're putting a pin on hair. Uh-huh. William okay. Burke was born in 1792 in Ulster in Northern Ireland. His parents were tenant farmers, and despite the path he would choose later in life, Burke had a pretty solid childhood. He learned to read and write from a local pastor who took him under his wing from a young age and then joined the military in his younger adult life. Hmm. He got married and became a father to two children, and things seemed to be going you know, pretty smoothly for him for a short time. Yeah. But when the Napoleonic War came to a close, his militia group disbanded, and so he was left with no work and no prospects. So, as was not uncommon for people in Burke's shoes, he was left with no choice but to leave his family behind in search of work. Oh, man. Desperate to make ends meet, Burke made his way to Scotland, where he also took a job working the Union Canal. He also met a woman named Helen McDougall during this time, and despite the fact that he had a wife and kids back in Ireland— Burke and Helen hit it off, and the two were also unofficially married. Helen taking Burke's last name. Ooh. It was there at the lodging house in Westport where Burke and Hare first met. Mm -hmm. Hare told Burke about his lodging house and offered him a place to stay for a while, and from there, a friendship formed. The two not only worked and lived together, but they were also routinely found bending an elbow at the local pub after work, Uh laughing and loudly sharing stories. They really got along well and trusted each other, which sounds great, but it would soon take a dark turn. Oh, yeah. So okay. when a tenant at the lodging house named Donald passed away in his room on November 29th, 1827, the Hares were met with a problem. Donald had no next of kin and no estate. Oh. He was a military veteran who used his meager pension to afford rent at the lodging house. And at the time of his death, he actually owed his rent in the amount of four pounds. Hmm. So this was a pretty huge deal for the Hares and they yeah. really couldn't afford this money being unaccounted for. So as Hare was sort of regaling his financial woes to Burke, Burke had a light bulb moment. 
At this current time in history, there was a need for bodies at medical schools. And so what if you sold Donald's body to the school to make up for the rent he owes? Yeah. Which seems like it makes sense. Like, okay, he doesn't have a family. He should still get a dignified, like, loving burial. But, like, I do understand partially, at least, Mm -hmm. this move a little bit. And who's going to pay for his burial? Well, hold on a second. Oh, okay. There's more to that. Like, because even still, I think this is grotesque, but it there's a lot of questions that are begged mm-hmm. right out of the gate. If someone doesn't have next of kin or any yeah. family or mm-hmm. anything like that, you have to ask the question, well, who's going to pay for that? Right. Unfortunately, that is always the question. Yeah. Well, I'll get to that. And then I have like a sidebar to make on that because I feel like, I feel like my thought on it would have been a better solution and things would not have <laughs> spiraled the way that they sure, were. Sure. So um, the only issue here was that the local church would usually take the remains of someone without family to ensure that they got a dignified and thoughtful burial, Ah. as they should. And the Hares actually had already contacted the parish and made arrangements for the body to be picked up. So they needed to figure out how to work around that. Yeah. Here's the thing. I truly believe with like the way that culture was at that time, especially in churches like all over that, that area, if they would have said he passed away while still owing rent and we kind of don't know what to do. Yeah. Is there any way you guys could take a collection at church to help out? Do you know of any resources? I have a feeling. Yeah. Obviously I can't prove that in any way, but I do have a feeling with the way that culture was at that time. Yeah. That if they would have said, can you help us solve this problem? The church probably would have. Yeah. Some benevolence would have been right. Nice in that moment. Right. And, And maybe likely. I don't know how that was at that time either, but I just feel like more likely than it would be maybe in other times of history. Mm -hmm. So I wish they would have asked, but they didn't. So they contacted a local carpenter who made a coffin for Donald and had the coffin delivered to the lodging house. In the late evening hours, members of the parish came and loaded Donald's body into the coffin and the undertaker planned to pick up the coffin the following morning. Uh This gave Burke and Hare the opportunity that they believed that they needed. Under the cover of night, the men removed Donald's body from the coffin and filled the coffin up with waste from a local business's trash until it was roughly the weight of an adult human's remains. And Mm. then they bolted the coffin shut before it was hauled off for burial the next day. Yikes. So as far as the parishioners know, they saw the body go into the coffin. Yeah. And they believe that they are burying this Mm -hmm. man. Wow. And giving him an honorable send-off. it's it's even still i wouldn't call it a gray area there's definitely like lying happening there's definitely like trickery going Mm -hmm. on but i'm sure in their minds they're thinking what they don't know won't hurt them Mm -hmm. like it's it's one of those like it's a lack of empathy to me yes for sure that and it's also very much um like just a degree of panic I feel like Mm. they're panicking they're being reactionary yeah they're being reactionary and I think that's that's still problematic right but I can understand it it makes some level of logical sense I don't like it and I do not condone it because like we're also looking at it from the perspective of today like medical science and being able to donate bodies Mm -hmm. and um, all of the research that does come from that that Mm -hmm. is like really really necessary and and 
obviously like super important, but the difference is that people are willingly donating their bodies. Yeah. Not that is different. somebody stealing it out of a coffin yeah. and taking him. So let's yeah. keep going. On December 1st, they took Donald's remains to 10 Surgeon Square, an office of a local medical professor named Robert Knox. They loaded Donald's body to the doors of the office and Knox, who would later take the body to be stored in the cool Edinburgh outdoors until the time of dissection, thanked the men profusely. He was like, mm. yes, we, we've really been struggling to get bodies in here, which is weird, yeah, but like, I get yeah, it. Yeah. He paid them a sum of seven pounds, 10 shillings, and one of the other people working in the office made a casual yet deadly remark. This person informed Burke and Hare that they looked forward to any more bodies that they may bring in and would be happy to pay them for more bodies whenever that may be. Oh, yikes. Which got their wheels turning. This could be a pretty lucrative undertaking. Jeez. So as I mentioned in the beginning, the need for bodies that would be used for dissection in medical schools around Edinburgh was high. Mm-hmm. So with the Scottish Enlightenment in full swing and with major advancements being made in everything from philosophy to science, the culture in Scotland was being transformed by the progress. Specific to today's story were the advancements made in medical science, hmm. namely in the realm of anatomy. During this time, surgeons would bring in rows of students into a room that was set up kind of like a small theater where they would sit in tiered rows and watch as the surgeon would dissect cadavers step by step, Mm -hmm. giving students studying to become physicians a literal insider's look into the human body and how it works. These demonstrations were routine at this time, and Edinburgh was one of the hotspots of studying how to become a doctor. But with hundreds upon hundreds of eager students coming in to watch a full dissection and with the requirement for students to each dissect a number of bodies themselves before they were officially allowed to become a physician, Mm. the demand for freshly deceased bodies that hadn't yet begun to decay was quickly far greater than the supply. And so it's not only just the demonstrations done by professors, but I think it was something like every one of the 700, 800 annual students needed to dissect three bodies each plus the demonstrations. And that's just at one school. Oh, wow. So like the number of cadavers needed was so, so high. Yeah. Yes. Wow. And with like no refrigeration and things like that, they had very strict timelines. They had to be, yeah, they had to be pretty fresh. Mm -hmm. Because if they're decaying, then that's going to change a lot of the stuff, how how it appears as you're dissecting. It's a very delicate timeline. Yeah. So, hmm. uh, in 1752, a law was put in place that put restrictions on the procuring of corpses. This law made it so that the only bodies that could be used for dissection were bodies of executed murderers. Hmm. Which I feel like really incentivized not committing any crimes worthy of the death penalty. <laughs> yeah. The idea of being being cut open in a room full of people and then being put on display for an undisclosed period of time would definitely be unsettling. Yeah. So as you can imagine, the amount of criminal executions could not keep up with the need for corpses to dissect. And out of that, a new group of, I guess you could call them entrepreneurs, was born. Hmm. The Resurrectionists. The Resurrectionists were grave robbers who perfected the art of sneaking into a graveyard, scoping out the most recent graves, digging them up and selling the bodies to medical schools for profit. Wow. Interestingly, grave robbery was not illegal at this time. 
But most grave robbers would remove clothing, jewelry, and any personal effects of the deceased person because they could technically be charged with theft of personal property if they got caught stealing the belongings of the dead. Wow. Which is a very weird technicality today. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Like you can steal their body, but like the necklace is too much. Yeah. You got to leave that. That's, Mm -hmm. That's theirs. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so it's very common. They would strip the clothes off and all the jewelry, anything on the corpse. Mm-hmm. Mm. So though it wasn't illegal, it was a deeply disturbing thing to the public at large. And so after a short time of grave robbers kind of having no challenges, besides the obvious physical challenges of digging up a grave and transporting a body, right. a new challenge would arrive. Families of the recently deceased came up with several solutions to prevent their loved ones from being stolen and sold. Initially, families would set up a rotating schedule of adults in the family who would come and like take turns running a 24-hour watch. Oh, yeah. They do this for the two weeks following the death and burial of their loved one because generally speaking, after the two-week mark, corpses would be too decomposed to be useful to the medical schools. Yeah, yeah. Eventually, the graveyards would hire security to watch over like new graves. Mm-hmm. But even though many people gave up on the act of grave robbing, Others simply got more creative. One very commonly used technique was to dig underground tunnels. Wow. From there, they'd dig a gap around the part of the coffin where the head was. Uh-huh. They'd pull out the panel from behind the head, attach a rope around the neck of the body, and drag it out of the coffin, through the tunnel, and out of the graveyard. Oh my gosh. Other solutions included burying your loved one in a very expensive metal coffin, mm-hmm. laying large stone slabs across the top of a new grave for two weeks, and even installing iron cages over the tops of the graves. If wow. you visit certain graveyards around Edinburgh today, you might still be able to see some of those cages still installed to this very day. Wow. The hmm. money that could be expected to be earned for delivering a fresh body to medical schools generally speaking, range between eight and 10 pounds. If you adjust for inflation, you're looking at somewhere around the range of 1,000 American dollars to 1,300 today. Wow. So not that much. Really not that much. Not that much, but even still, like it's notable enough to feel like if I do this regularly, I can have a full-time career in Mm -hmm. grave grave robbing. Yeah, and if you do it, in a certain way uh-huh. so as to not, you know, technically be guilty of a crime. You're not liable right. for any criminal activity. Right. Wow. Crazy to me. That blows my mind. Mm. So by the time of today's story, grave robbing was an explosively large operation. So many grave robbers. But despite this, the demand still outweighed the supply. So back to Burke and Hare. Okay. After using the money they made from selling Donald's body to the physician Robert Knox, the men still had three pounds, 10 shillings to split between them. Realizing that this was relatively easy money, they decided that they should work out a plan to bring more bodies to Knox and fast. But obviously, people don't just die in the lodging house every single day. Right. So they decided that instead of waiting for more residents to die, and instead of entering this overpopulated game of grave robbing, yeah. And like risk getting caught and walking away empty handed that instead they would find people that they could murder together so they could keep earning. Oh, my gosh. They talked over the course of several weeks about how they would pull off their crimes, deciding that they needed to pick a method of murder that wouldn't leave any marks on the body, ensuring them the highest possible payout. 
They also wanted to try and avoid murdering anyone that someone might come looking for in order to conceal their crimes as much as possible. Which is, can we just Mm -hmm. for a minute, I'm always going to say, it makes no sense to me how these people always find each other. Yeah. They always do. I, I cannot imagine sitting across the table from a friend who was like, we need to make sure we don't stab them so we don't ruin their bot. Like right. how casually it seems like they were discussing the taking of a human life hmm. is very baffling to me. Yeah. And the fact that they've fully developed a plan and I'm kind of skimming sure, this, sure. but they yeah. were like, we need to lure them in. We need to be nice. We need to do this. We need to make them trust us. So yeah. this, there was a whole plan that they, and they saw ahead of like any potential corners that they might need to look around. Yeah. It really is. It's, it's the kind of, yeah, it's the kind of evil that makes me think of like Aesop's fables. Mm -hmm. Like, like, uh, is, is uh, Hansel and Gretel, is that an Aesop fable? No, I I think that's Grimm's, isn't it? Is that Grimm's? Either way, Hansel and Gretel, they, they get lured in to be killed souped and turned into yeah food and in this case they're doing the same thing they're luring people in mm-hmm. to turn them into money for yeah. greed greed and and they're fairy tale bad guys right well and even deeper than greed is kind of necessity like they're doing it to stay alive to pay for their needs to which is like not understandable but it is something that I think we all can like understand the level of panic to mm-hmm. be like, man, or desperation. Yeah. Desperation. I'll do anything kind of a mindset. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's pretty messed up <laughs> for sure. For sure. So I, I hope no one hears me that I'm like justifying what they're doing, but I, I do see this weird thing of like, they're doing it because they feel like they need to, and not in the weird, like, um, not in the weird, not like compulsory, compulsory way. Yeah. yeah like we've seen a lot of other serial murderers. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, this is strictly business, which is crazy. Yeah. I don't think we've, I, I've never heard of a, of a murder case like this where it's strictly business. That's yeah, strange it is, to me. It is a very, I think at the same time, I hear what you're saying. I don't totally disagree. But I think that there's such an element of laziness to it. Oh, sure. Where sure. they don't want to go dig a hole in the ground and carry a body away. Yeah. Like they don't want right. to actually do it. I mean, that's still just as wrong to me right. personally. And I'm sure people listening might have different convictions on like how they look at the different angles, like yeah. the potential angles of this. So they would not have to wait long. In February of 1828, a dark opportunity arose. A tenant at the lodging house known only as Joseph had fallen ill. He had a fever and he didn't seem to be showing any signs of improvement. And so instead of calling a doctor for Joseph, they decided on a fate much worse for him. As word of Joseph's illness swept through the lodging house, Burke and Hare noted that the people in the house were starting to become anxious about a sick person being in such close quarters with everyone else. And so unfortunately for Joseph, this made him an extra vulnerable target. One night, they showed up at Joseph's door, offering him some company and a bottle of whiskey to share. After getting Joseph sufficiently intoxicated, Hare used a pillow to smother Joseph while Burke sat on his chest to keep him from fighting back, a method that would later be referred to as burking. Oh my gosh. Yikes. 
Yikes. Oh. Big yikes. Oh. After Joseph died from suffocation, they stripped his body so they could sell his clothes and other belongings for more money and put his body in a tea chest until later that night. Once all was quiet in the Westport streets, the two men carried the chest to Dr. Robert Knox yet again. Mm. After taking a look at the body, Knox offered the men 10 pounds and sent them on their merry way. Now, it seems very obvious to me that even this early on, Knox had to have had at least an inkling yeah. of what was going on here. It's been like less than a month. Yeah. Or a couple months, I guess, since these two brought in a body. But for whatever reason, it seems like Knox was more concerned about having the bodies mm-hmm. than he was about how the people that the bodies belonged to met their end. Right. He asked no <sighs> questions. So all of this information was given by one of the men later on. And so we are going off of what they say and are kind of forced to believe that it's true, just as a side note. So the next victim is sadly unnamed. Hmm. What we do know about him is that he was of average height and build and that he had moved to Scotland for work and had found his way to the lodging house. Without so much as learning the name of their next victim, Burke and Hare noticed that he was sick with jaundice. So once again, he was very sadly vulnerable to their mm, sinister plot. Yeah. Just like they'd done to Joseph, the men got their victim drunk and then suffocated him in the burking method. They brought his remains to Knox, who gave them another 10 pounds. This was a week after killing Joseph, just as a Jeez. side note. Which is, I feel like, so, just like unbelievably yes. brazen. Very brazen. And you're right. The doctor, Dr. Knox, has no reason to not be suspicious. Oh, people in your like, lodging house just keep dropping dead? Yeah, that's that's weird. When you brought up what he said, or who was it that said, uh, look forward to- more, It was one of his like assistants, his assistants, I think. Yeah, that's what I thought you said. So when one of his assistants said that, mm-hmm. it made me wonder if there had been maybe just conversations, maybe some kind of dark humor kind of conversations behind the scenes mm-hmm. that would make someone- willingly say something like that yeah because it seems like that does not seem to be like a like a regardless of the time like a cordial salutation (laughs) like i have a hard time buying that Yeah, they they were it sounds like we're totally speculating sure but it sounds like they were planting that seed on purpose and who Mm -hmm. knows maybe planting it with multiple people yeah maybe saying that just around as a ploy to basically ask people to do something like this, mm-hmm. which is bonkers, bonkers. Because mm-hmm. um, I, it's I mean, very mad scientist. Yeah, you'd get canceled today for just even saying that. As you should, like as <laughs> yeah. you should. Yeah, like that's so, not funny. These are like humans with right, lives, and right. Yeah. Yikes. Okay. Okay, and so on February 11th, they changed up their mo a little bit. Instead of killing residents at the lodging house exclusively. They decided to look for vulnerable people out in the streets of Edinburgh. Mm. They would put on a very friendly, welcoming, generous facade uh-huh. and get them to trust them. So on this night, Hare and his wife were out looking for their next victim. Oh, so his wife is totally in on it this whole time. The wives, no. A lot of versions, a lot of sources will not mention the wives, except mm-hmm. for way later. Sure. Uh, they knew. They absolutely knew Mm. what was going on. Yeah. So while they were looking for their next victim, they found her. A camstone seller named Abigail Simpson. Camstone is just like a a limestone brick. Oh, sure. Okay. When they saw her and decided that she was their next target, 
William and Margaret struck up a friendly conversation with her and offered her some whiskey. After getting her pretty drunk, they told her that they heard of a hopping party happening at a lodging house nearby and invited her to join. Once they got her inside, Burke and Helen were there waiting. Instead of suffocating her with a pillow, they actually strangled poor Abigail. Oh. Isn't that sad? Yeah. Poor Abigail. They brought her body into Knox, who, despite the damage to the body, was so excited that he had another one that he could use for teaching. So he handed them another 10 pounds. Jeez. And sent them on their way. Oh, that's miserable. I know. And like, I'm, I'm sad for that girl. I'm, I'm. I know. Deeply sad for anybody who should have known, honestly. I know. Like sad and and, and mad. Yeah. Like people, people could have stopped it or could have called it out. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that he had other assistants that were like, oh, that's obviously, this is a problem. Yeah. That will come up a little bit later. Okay. Thankfully, there's like a tiny bit of integrity (sighs) somewhere in here. My goodness. The next victim is also nameless and has no details about her life available. Mm. All we know about her is that Margaret led her to the lodging house where she was murdered and then delivered to Dr. Knox, who paid them another 10 pounds. Which I also think this is just a good time to talk about how unbelievably selfish that everyone was who was in, in on this operation. Oh, yeah. Just like so... Selfish. Yes. Burke, Hare, their wives murdered people for money. And Knox, a literal brilliant doctor renowned for his knowledge and skill at teaching human anatomy, who was completely willing to look the other way in the name of science. Heartless. Might might be a brilliant genius, but absolutely heartless. Absolutely. uh, Just just willing to compromise where no physician should ever compromise. No human should ever compromise. it's, It's interesting because... Um, it's the, the, what's the vow that doctors take? The Hippocratic the, Oath. The Hippocratic Oath. Yeah. It's, it's almost no like harm. he's trying to sidestep it by well, him not doing the harm. How old is the Hippocratic Oath? I know it's named after Hippocrates, but do, do you know roughly? Um, yeah. I think, I mean, wasn't he like several millennium BC or centuries, sorry, centuries, centuries BC. So he would have been like fourth or fifth century something BC. like that. Yeah. yeah. I'm just trying to think old, either way, very old, very old several I know thousand it. years old at this point, multiple <laughs> so thousand years old. Hippocrates never heard of him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Knox was not saying that. Oof. So yeah, I think that that is really, it's just really slimy and the whole, I just feel like it's way heavier than it seems to be on the surface. Yeah. And it's always extra heavy to me, I guess, when victims are targeted simply because they're poor or sick and when Mm. we don't even know their names. Yeah. Like, it makes me sad. And it was at this point that they went from just trying to have their physical needs met to they're buying fancy suits. They're buying, you know, all the cool accessories. They're buying, they're buying things. So this is, this is getting out of hand and more and more depraved. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Wow. So by the spring of 1828, they had their whole disgusting routine down to a science. On April 9th, 1828, Burke and Hare managed to lure two 18-year-old sex workers, Janet Brown and Mary Patterson, to the lodging house. Oh. From the get-go, Janet was nervous about entering the lodging house. I don't know why that is, but I think it's safe to assume that she could just intuit that there was something not quite right about these two men, like something weird in their eyes or off about their smiles. But her friend Mary assured her that this was fine. This would just be a fun, easy way to drink for free for a few hours before heading out. Yeah. They got to the lodging house and started drinking and were all just casually hanging out. 
After a little bit, Mary was very intoxicated and she passed out. The Mm. men offered her a bed to sleep in for the night and one for Janet as well. Burke made it pretty well known to Janet that he was interested in her, and so the two were flirting and talking. But during that time, Helen came in and saw what was going on and lost her mind on Burke for cheating on her. Yeah. And it was like very volatile. She's throwing things or hitting each other. Like it's bad. So during their argument, Janet left the house telling the men like, oh, like I'll come get my friend in the morning. Like I'm gotta go. You know, she's dipping out. Yeah. Which don't blame her. I do not blame her for that. She's freaked out. So sadly, Mary... BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. They would not survive the night. After killing her in the same way that they'd killed all most of the others, I guess, mm-hmm. they brought her body to Knox. So this next part is really weird. I'm going to offer a little content warning because what happens to Mary's remains is so bizarre and twisted that I feel like it warrants at least a small warning. Oh, okay. So due to Mary's job as a sex worker, many of the people at Knox's office recognized her. Burke and Hare made up some story about Mary's death, and Knox accepted her body, paying the men eight pounds for bringing her in. Knox was most likely a former client of Mary's, and Mary was very beautiful and had an amazing body. And so Knox decided to prolong her dissection and decided to store her body in a barrel of whiskey for three full months. He also commissioned a painting of her deceased body and then sold tickets to her dissection instead of dissecting her for his students. Oof. Which is like so shocking. Yes. That's. All of that. Poor Mary. And she was 18. She was so young. Yeah. So gross. I can't even believe. I feel like. How violating all of that is. I feel like there's a point here that we, we can, maybe should, will right now. (laughs) Okay. Address kind of the inhumane ways that sex workers have been treated even up until. I don't know, a few five years mi- ago. Five minutes ago? Yeah. yeah. No doubt. Um, and that's that's just so dark and evil I know. to take a person and to treat them like property. Or like a trophy. Yes. And to and commission a painting? Are yes. you joking? That's like some Ed Kemper level like twistedness. Yeah. That's so gross. I, or like, like Dahmer taking photos of his victims. Uh-huh. Like it's the same. How is that any different? Right. Well, and he and, may not uh, have killed Mary Patterson, but he 100% knew she was murdered. Oh, yeah. He paid somebody oh, for her gosh. body yeah. and then kept her. Kept her. And then, I mean, oh, I, I don't know. Poor we, Mary. We, we don't know what else he did with her body. I know. And that's pretty, especially if he was a client. That's mm-hmm. There's a lot of just potential scenarios that 
play out very quickly. You don't have to be too imaginative to wonder. It's just sad because I think that there's a natural posture of dehumanizing sex workers anyways, uh-huh. um, which is really tragic and heartbreaking. Yeah. But then there's an extra element to it when somebody goes beyond just the gross act of dehumanizing someone in their mind mm-hmm. and then also acts on those thoughts. Right. You know, like yeah. it's just really, really sad. So when oh. Janet had returned to come get Mary the following day, the men told her that she had left with a client and headed off to Glasgow with him. Janet didn't believe them, but there wasn't much that she could do to find her friend at this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So some reports did say that Janet went to authorities and said, this is what happened. I think that something bad happened to my friend. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, if she went with a client, we can't do anything about it. Right. And it's like, Yikes. really sad. Ugh. I feel like Mary was, and Janet, in a way, were both mm-hmm. swept under the rug. Oh, totally. The, the same spring, a tenant by the name of Elizabeth Haldane became the next victim. Her death and delivery of her remains to Dr. Knox was much the same as the others. But unlike most of the others, Elizabeth had someone come looking for her. In the early summer of 1828, Elizabeth's daughter Peggy came looking for her mom after a local grocer told her that she knew her mother and she was certain that she lived at the lodging house. Mm. When Peggy came knocking and the wives of Burke and Hare answered, they both pretended like they didn't know who Elizabeth was. Sensing the panic at the door and fearing that Peggy would go to police if they didn't come up with a story fast, Burke and Hare rushed in and convinced Peggy to come inside assuring her that they'd help her find her mother. After calming Peggy down, they began supplying her with whiskey, and you know how it went from there. Yeah. So they killed a mother and daughter now. Wow. Really to cover their own tracks. That's all they they wanted out of Peggy. After murdering another unnamed female victim around the same time, the pair targeted another local, a woman named Effie, who was another very down-on-her-luck individual. Effie spent her days rummaging through trash and collecting little valuables to sell or eat, such as leather scraps from the tanner or slightly spoiled food from the grocer. Mm. One extra sad detail about Effie is that she and Burke actually knew each other. While he was working as a cobbler, she actually sold him leather scraps for his job. So I'm completely convinced that Burke had absolutely no ability to empathize or view another human as human at all. Right. At this point, like... You're, oh, you're a yeah. eight pound mark or a 10 pound mark to me. And that's it. Oof. After striking up a conversation with Effie and sharing a few drinks, Burke convinced her to come hang out at the lodging house where he lured her into the stable, murdered her and sold her body to Knox mm. once again. After killing Effie, Burke made his way out of the bustling Edinburgh nightlife in search of another victim. While he was out, he spotted a woman who was clearly very drunk being helped by two police officers. He approached the three people and convinced the officers that she was a friend of his and that he knew where she lived and could get her home safely. Mm. So the officers were like, oh, good. We don't even know who she is. She doesn't know her name. We don't know where she lives. We weren't sure what to do with her. Thank God you're here. Jeez. So after he thanked the officers who were relieved that the woman in question was now sure to get home safely, Burke brought her to the lodging house and murdered her, selling her body to Knox shortly after. Just so tragic. Wrong place, wrong time. So tragic. At this point, unfortunately, I have no information on who this woman was or how she was in life. And so she's added to the list of anonymous victims. Man. And these guys are being, once again, like the the inhumanity, Mm -hmm. the the lack of empathy is just growing to the point where now they're being opportunistic. They're always Mm -hmm. looking. Mm -hmm. And- 
I'm just like, it's not just like happenstance that they're capitalizing on. Right. It's they're They're like, Oh, there's one right there. Let's go. You know, Ugh, they're, makes they're me looking nauseous. for it. Yeah. More anonymous victims would follow sometimes within less than a day of each other. And still Knox refused to ask a single question about where they had found this body. If he knew the deceased or how they had died. In June of 1828, while Burke was at a grocery store, he overheard a conversation between a woman and staff at the store, asking them for directions to an address where she had family waiting for them. She was with her 12-year-old grandson, and they had just arrived in Scotland from Ireland. Hmm. Without missing a beat, Burke hopped in and offered the woman and her grandson a place to come and stay and sort of recharge from their long journey. Oh my gosh. After some schmoozing, Burke led the woman and her grandson to the lodging house. While the little boy sat by the fireplace to warm up, the grandma was given whiskey after whiskey to drink. And once she was drunk, they led her away and killed her out of sight of the child. (sighs) Content warning. I'm sure you know it's coming. In the next few minutes, I'll be mentioning the death of a child as well as the abuse and death of an animal. And so if those things are particularly upsetting to you, please skip forward a few minutes. Mm. For a short while, Burke, Hare, and their wives debated on what to do. They were all very hesitant about killing the child, but sensing that he was becoming nervous and agitated about being separated from his grandmother and worried that he would escape and tell police, they carried him off to the back room and murdered him in the same way they'd killed the others. Oh, gosh. So it's just very, very heavy. This poor little boy. Poor, poor little boy. Transporting the two bodies proved to be much more difficult than transferring one. So what they had been doing is they've been going to the local carpenter uh-huh. and buying tea chests. And the chests aren't obviously as long as a coffin, but they would kind of fold the bodies into yeah. the tea Oof. chest. Yeesh. Yeah. And two bodies are not going to fit in a tea chest. Right. And carrying two tea chests is not really a viable option either. Yeah. Also, that's very suspicious to be bringing two bodies at the same time. Not like Dr. Knox seems to care. But I know. I think at this point, they're not even worried about it. They're yeah. they're worried about maybe people in the public noticing, but not right. Knox. They couldn't care less. Yeah. So what they decided to do was to put the two bodies into a barrel that they put on the back of their horse cart. Mm-hmm. And then they had the horse do the heavy lifting. Yikes. It's very interesting. So the horse refused to budge after a very short distance. Ugh. Like it would not move. The men did all that they could to get the horse to continue. They screamed at it and beat at it, but the horse would not move. That is. Which I feel like hmm. horses are so smart. Yeah. Like it would not surprise me if the horse knew that it was like an accomplice to a crime. (laughs) Like it would not surprise me. Horses are so smart like that. Yeah. So amused at the situation, a small crowd began to gather around Burke, Hare, and the horse-drawn cart. Trying not to get caught, Burke flagged down a shop owner nearby and convinced him to come help him carry the barrel to the medical offices of Dr. Knox, where they were paid 16 pounds for the two bodies. Jeez. And I I feel like I forgot to note this. In the summertime, Uh the rate was eight pounds because the bodies were stored outside since they didn't have refrigeration. And so they obviously couldn't leave the body outside as Mm -hmm. long as they could in the winter. Right, Right. And so they paid a smaller rate. And then in the colder months where the body would be preserved longer, they would get the 10 pound rate. Hmm. So that's why you're seeing different numbers. Okay. Okay. So when they returned home, Hare marched straight to his horse and shot it, killing it. Oh. Yeah. Yikes. Very, very sad. Oh my gosh. 
very sad. So interestingly, it was the murder of the little boy that messed Burke up the most. Yeah. For the rest of his life, he was slapped with a sudden fear of the dark, claiming that the ghosts of his victims haunted him as soon as the lights went out. Well, which good. like good. Yeah. Serves you right. Just desserts, honestly. Honestly. That's, oof. I, I will also say there's uh, a point. I mean, you were talking way earlier about how it seems like there's zero empathy and then once a kid comes in the picture and they're uncertain and they're kind of like questioning what they should do, like, so it's there. There mm-hmm. is a degree of, of. They're choosing to ignore it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then obviously the outcome of that is, oh yeah, you, you're going to have a hard time sleeping. Like you're going to be afraid of the dark. You're going to be afraid of the, the ghosts that surround you. The, the vengeance yeah, that's the owed to you. skeletons in your closet. Like. Mm-hmm. And that's good. Like that's, that's justice in not the fullest sense because obviously like they're, they're still doing this thing. Yeah. But it's, it it feels a little bit like a kind of a meta level justice for them Mm -hmm. to be tormented, for him to be tormented like that. Yeah. But instead of seeing this as his sign to stop his heinous killing spree, Burke and Hare continued on. I mean, after all the money they'd made, through yeah. murdering and selling people, they'd become used to a certain lifestyle. Oh, That's gosh. the justification they would later give. We were just uh, like really accustomed to the amount of money we were making. Good Ugh. That's just so messed up. Around that same time, William and Helen Burke went on a little vacation to visit relatives from out of town. While they were out, Hare committed another murder of an unknown victim and sold the body for eight pounds. When Burke found out about this, he was furious that Hare did this to him and kept all the money for himself. The two got into like a knockout, drag Oof. out fist fight in front of a crowd. Yeah. When the dust settled, the Burks moved out of the lodging house and into a different lodging house a few blocks over. Hmm. But they would soon make amends and continue on with their killing spree. Yeah. In September of 1828, the murder of an elderly washerwoman by the name of Mrs. Hostler, who worked at the lodging house that the Burks moved into. <sighs> Together, Burke and Hare did their usual bit of getting their victim drunk. After she passed out, Mrs. Hostler was smothered to death and then sold to Dr. Knox for eight pounds. Less than a week later, Anne McDougal. McDougal. Oh, Does that sound familiar? Yes, it does. Should, because she's a relative of Helen Burke. She was in Edinburgh to visit Helen and William. Mm. Shockingly, she became the next victim of Burke and Hare. Oh, And her remains were sold for 10 pounds. That is shocking wow. like obviously every single one of these crimes is equally as terrible and like inhuman but the idea that they as a group decided to kill a family member yes of one of the people in the group is so shocking it's it's just as shocking as killing, killing a child, a child? Yeah. yeah it's it's right on par with that i can't even wrap my mind around it. it's crazy oh wow so finally their crimes would start to unravel with their next murder this was the murder of 18 year old james wilson James was a local who lived in Edinburgh with his mother and sister. He had a reputation around town for being sweet and joyful. He was mentally disabled and suffered from facial and foot deformities that left him with a limp. But he was well-loved by the locals, and his presence brought such genuine, lighthearted joy to everyone who interacted with him. They gave him a sort of pet name, which I know they meant well with it, but his nickname is actually, like, really insensitive. Mm -hmm. They called him Daft Janie. Because of his mental disability, which is like, 
Like, I know they meant well and it was a different time, but like, don't love that. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm dark and yeah. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. on this particular night, Burke and Hare invited Jamie over to Hare's lodging house and planned to do their usual deeds. Jeez. But Jamie wasn't much of a drinker. After trying for a while to get Jamie to drink, and because he continually refused to, they decided to just blindside him, Mm. killing him by restraining and suffocating him after he got in a few punches of his own. He almost made it out. But they, I mean, two on one. Yeah. And having a limp, you know, it's harder to get away. So when they brought his body to Knox, many of Knox's assistants instantly recognized him. Students and assistants were upset to yeah. see Jamie dead, and it raised major red flags amongst many of them, yeah. some of which went as far as to protest his dissection. Wow. Knox wouldn't hear of it and decided that he would remove Jamie's head and feet in order to conceal his identity during <sighs> dissection. Oh, jeez. Which he, he knew. Like, yeah. I've, we've, we're beating the dead horse a little bit by yeah. saying that. Yeah. But like, another opportunity for Knox to do the right thing here. Right. And he just blows it. Well, and at this point he has to be wondering, Oh, maybe I could get caught. Maybe, maybe we could all get caught. Or I'm even just, I wonder ugh. what would happen if we did get caught. Yes. It feels like he isn't asking any of those questions. Right. So after news spread that Jamie had passed away, members of the community were shocked and devastated. For a long while, newspapers in town were plastered with James Wilson's face, along with poems and well wishes from locals who wanted to honor and commemorate their friend who died too soon. They were very sweet about, like, remembering Jamie. Yeah. Their final murder would take place on October 31st, 1828, when a woman by the name of Margaret Dougherty came into a pub where Burke happened to have been drinking. Overhearing her asking people to buy her a drink— Burke jumped in at the opportunity to buy one for her, quickly gaining her trust. Mm -hmm. As they sat and drank, Burke pointed out that her name sounded Irish and asked where in Ireland she was from. When she told him, he told her that he has relatives with the last name Doherty from that same area. And the drinks kept flowing. Margaret became convinced that she was drinking with a distant relative. He invited her to the lodging house. (laughs) the one where he lived with Helen, promising her a safe place to sleep for the night, and the two headed over. After she was settled, Burke went and got Hare to help him kill and sell Margaret. Once they were there, Burke informed a family who was staying at the lodge, Mr. and Mrs. James and Anne Gray, who also had their baby with them, Mm -hmm. that a relative was in for a quick visit and asked if they would mind giving up their room for the night if he offered them some accommodations nearby. Uh, So they're going to pay the Grays to leave for the night. Yeah. The Greys agreed, trying to be helpful. They're like, oh, sure, of course. Like, your aunt's in town? Like, yeah, sure, we'll get out of your hair for the night. Thanks for arranging a place for us to stay. Hmm. Like, very trying to be helpful. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Which is sad. Yeah. So when they got Margaret alone, a neighbor heard the commotion. According to this neighbor, he overheard someone yelling for help and that there was a murder. Oh, finally. When police came in to investigate, they searched the lodge but didn't find a body. Burke and Hare had hidden her body between the bed and the wall and covered her with hay promising to move her the following morning to avoid getting caught in case police were still nearby. Yeah. So wow. like, okay, police have come in. We need to wait to move her. Yeah. When the Greys returned the next day, Mrs. Gray asked where Margaret Dougherty had gone. The Burks explained that she'd gotten a little out of control due to the alcohol, so they had to kick her out. Hmm. They tried to keep Mrs. Gray out of the room. 
that she was killed in, Mm -hmm. making all kinds of excuses and weird reasons for her to wait before going in. (sighs) There was a thick tension in the room, but Mrs. Gray played it off. Yeah. So this is kind of weird, but Burke was out at this time. They decided after, even though Mr. and Mrs. Gray were kind of like, why won't you let us go in our room? Mm -hmm. Like It's a little bit weird. Mm -hmm. Uh, He decided to leave to go meet with one of Knox's assistants who lived nearby to arrange for Margaret's body to be picked up. Oh, jeez. Much to her husband's protest, Anne Gray decided that she needed to go check out the room. Yeah. She had to know what they were hiding. Hmm. As she scanned the room, she found the body of Margaret Dougherty. Freaked out at the sight of this poor woman and fearful for the safety of herself and her own family, Anne ran to James and told him what she'd found. They tried to run off, but Helen Burke appeared in the door, bribing them with money to not go to the police. The Greys were not easily bought, however, and so they headed out into the Edinburgh streets to find an officer to come check out the scene. Hmm. In a desperate attempt to cover their tracks, Burke and Hare rushed the body off to Dr. Knox, asking him to do the inspection of the body at another time. Knox gave them five pounds and told them that if the body was in good condition, that he'd give them an additional five pounds later on. Sure. They agreed and hustled back to the lodging house where the Burks were staying. At that time, James Gray was back with a police officer in tow. While the officer couldn't find a body, obviously, they did find Margaret's bloodied clothing in the Gray's room. The clothing that they had quickly torn off before bringing her remains to Knox. Yeah. That day, William and Margaret Hare and William and Helen Burke were all arrested and put in separate cells to avoid corroborating each other's stories. Yeah. So this was November 1st. Okay, yeah. When they were questioned, it seemed as if there was an unofficial competition to see who could come up with the dumbest, most outlandish story with some bonus points tacked on for whoever could completely change their story the most. Wow, okay. Hot mess. Okay, yeah. Not great. With nobody giving an actual confession or even a somewhat reasonable timeline of events, the police decided that in order to avoid needing to release the criminals due to lack of evidence, that they would offer them a deal. Hmm. For a full confession, you and your spouse are granted full immunity and would not be charged in any of the crimes that you confess to. For some unknown reason, they offered the deal to Hare first. And so, Hare sung like a bird, regaling in great detail the lengths that he and Burke had gone to in order to make fast money at the expense of tricking the poor and destitute, and sometimes even friends or family, into trusting that their kindness was genuine. So they oh only gosh. offered it to one of them for yeah. some unknown reason. They offered it to Hare first. Yeah. Could yeah. have been luck of the draw. Could have been a suspicion that yeah. officers had that one might have been more so the ringleader than sure, the other. Sure. There not, isn't really any, any information as to why, but that's what happened. Hmm. So without spending a ton of time on the investigation, this was really the slam dunk that they needed to send the case to trial. They did find Margaret Dougherty's remains before she underwent dissection, so they were able to gather minimal evidence from her remains as well. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's good. They also questioned Dr. Knox. Yes, good. Because there is no way, like we've said and oversaid, (laughs) that this man did not know what was going on, but no charges were brought against him. That is unfortunate. The regulations for medical schools purchasing deceased bodies for educational purposes granted him essentially innocence on all fronts. Mm -hmm. Though three other well-respected anatomists in Edinburgh were questioned about Knox and like his methods and ethics. Yeah. And they all said the same thing, that there's no way that he didn't know that people were being murdered. Yeah. And if he would have decided like the faithfulness to his oath as a physician Mm -hmm. 
would have been more powerful than his desire to be a top tier, yeah. like anatomist professor in the area, that this whole charade would have stopped way sooner yeah. and way people, way less people yeah. would have died as a result. Yeah. Though charges were never brought against Knox at any point, he faded into obscurity in the months and years to come. The outrage of the public casting a shadow of disgrace over the doctor oh, for the yeah. rest of his life. That's good. That's good. Yes. He should He should have rotted in prison. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, he should have. But the fact that he lost his career. Mm -hmm. The next best thing. That's the next best is, thing. Is to be yeah convicted in public opinion. Yes. Which is in this case. Yeah. Not true for all stories. But sure. in this story, that's, that is for sure the right thing to have mm -hmm. happen. So the trial began on Christmas Eve, 1828. And as you can imagine, it was an absolutely chaotic sensation from the minute the crimes were made public. It was a highly populated event with so many people in attendance that even the streets outside were so full of residents wanting to hear the trial as it was unfolding. Yeah. In order to keep the peace, upwards of 300 police constables, as well as multiple Jeez. military units were deployed. Oh my gosh. I mean, there were hundreds, upwards of a thousand police huh. and military present to keep the public yeah. from like freaking out. Yeah. Well, understandably so, because- mm -hmm. Like we just said, there's public opinion on the doctor. How mm -hmm. much worse is it going to be on these guys? Right. So, wow. Despite there being 17 lives taken, the courts only pursued charges in the case of Margaret Doherty, since this was the only body that could be examined right. for evidence right. at this time. But I did read that other charges were also being pursued. It was just a little inconsistent. Sure. Yeah. The case was presided over by Lord Justice Clerk David Boyle, along with three other notable justices. So from the legal side of things, they picked some of the best of the best to conduct the trial. Hmm. Wow. It was a full 24-hour affair with members of the jury, court, etc., even eating their meals throughout the trial like as it was going. Oh, wow. This was not a trial huh. that at this time that they believed they could reasonably like go and have a recess. Sure. Given yeah. the status of the Scottish courts at the time mm -hmm. and like the public yeah. Interest in the case, like they're where are they yeah. gonna go? Well, and their <laughs> evidence really anywhere for them to go. Yeah, their evidence is one person's body, mm -hmm. which they don't want to have it get worse. Mm -hmm. So it makes a lot of sense. And it's just really oh man, that is that is also I mean, when we talk about the right to a speedy trial, that yeah. is a very speedy trial. So I mean that's good. I know this is not in America, but right. even still, like that's that's the right way to do that, especially mm -hmm. in this kind of a scenario. Mm -hmm. They also believe that a recess would lessen the credibility of the trial as a whole, and they wanted it to be as airtight as possible. Huh. So okay. that makes sense. With upward of 55 witnesses, a couple dozen of which testified at the trial, including Janet Brown, the friend of Mary Patterson, who was killed, oh, yeah. as well as William and Margaret Hare, who proved to have the most damning testimonies. <sighs> Witnesses wow. corroborated details placing Burke in the presence of the witnesses Jeez. and like victims as well. Yeah. The Greys believe that they would have 100% become victims in just a matter of time as well. Yeah. They had, like all of the victims, trusted mm -hmm. Burke and Hare. Mm -hmm. That their kindness and generosity was from a genuine place of wanting to take care of their neighbor, so to speak. But it was obviously all a ruse. Totally. After all the testimony was heard, both sides presented their cases and all the details were out in the open. And so the jury deliberated for a whopping 50 minutes before they came mm -hmm. back with their verdict. Yeah. William Burke was found guilty and his wife, Helen, was found to be not proven. So she mm. was actually released. Interesting. By Christmas morning, Lord Justice Clerk Doyle donned his black robe and cap and delivered a spine tingling statement before issuing his sentence. Quote, William Burke 
You now stand convicted by the verdict of a most respectable jury of the atrocious murder charged against you. More atrocious in the point of bold-blooded deliberation never was exhibited in the annals of this or any other court of justice. You have now no other duty to perform on earth but to prepare in a most suitable manner for the appearance before the throne of Almighty God to answer for this crime and for every other that you have been guilty of during your life. But taking into consideration that the public eye would be offended with so dismal an exhibition, your sentence shall be put in execution in the usual way, but your body should be publicly dissected and anatomized, and I trust that yours will be preserved in order that posterity may keep in remembrance your atrocious crimes. Wow. End quote. Wow. And it would be so. Oh my gosh. That is, that's a boss move. And that is a mic drop. Crazy. (laughs) Of all mic drops. Dang. Crazy. Now it's, uh, it's very sad that uh, only one of them is found guilty in this scenario. Mm -hmm. That's pretty Oh, that's a huge bummer, honestly. I'm very much case by case, like in regards to the death penalty. Yeah. Like I don't, I cannot, I've tried to form a black and white statement or like stance on it. Yeah. My entire adult life. And I feel like in some cases it's unjust. And in other cases it's like, yeah, it makes sense. And in this one, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it makes yes. it to, yes. personally for me, it makes sense. Yes. And honestly, the judge's hands were kind of tied because yeah. once he was found guilty and there are yeah. thousands upon thousands of people, like, unfortunately, it was kind of one of those moments where it's like, he would have probably been put to death anyways. Oh, yeah. But- And this is a way to do have, it. Yeah. yeah. This is a way to do it where it's not going to also cause total pandemonium. Right. It's going to be, okay, this is happening. We all agree. And yeah, so. Okay. So on January 28th, 1829, William Burke would be hanged for his crimes. Much like the trial, the public was there in frenzied anticipation to see justice in these heinous crimes finally being served. It's estimated that there was somewhere around 25,000 people in attendance, with tickets being sold for attendees who wanted the best view of the execution. 25,000 people were there. That is literally like, it just takes me back to Roman Colosseum kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Like This is very, uh, yes, very dark. Very, very very dark. It's going to get darker. Oh, after the usual proceedings of an execution, Burke was hanged and pronounced instantly dead. Shortly after a death mask was casted and at least one copy is still in existence. Even to this day Mm. Um, on February 1st, his body was sent to the Edinburgh university's old college medical theater, where he was publicly dissected by an anatomist named Dr. Alexander Monroe ticket holders for this event watched as Burke was skinned. His skin being stretched into a cover for a notebook. His brain was removed in order to be put on display. And then Dr. Monroe dipped his quill into the blood and wrote a note that said, quote, this is written with the blood of William Burke, who was hanged at Edinburgh on 28th, January 29 for the murder of Mary Doherty. This blood was taken from his head. End quote. Wow. From there, the flesh was removed from his body and his bones were cleaned and sent to Edinburgh University Medical School and can be seen in the Surgeon's Hall Museum today. His remains a grisly reminder of the lengths and depths of depravity that those as desperately evil as Burke possess within them. Today, you can go see his bones and his death mask. And I'm pretty, I've seen pictures of the brain in the notebook. I yeah. don't know if those are on display. I think they're on display, but like, 
Wow. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> made an example of very, very publicly, which is once again, hey, the outcome on that is totally just and totally like reasonable. It's real dark and you would hope it wouldn't have to happen. Part of me wonders if it was done so grotesquely to set an example for because they yeah. I have a yeah. feeling that they weren't the only ones. Sure. Like I just feel like they got right. they got careless. These guys aren't And they escalated so yeah. quickly that it kind of spiraled out of control. Yeah. With how popular grave robbing was mm-hmm. and with them being like deterred from grave robbing because of how over um yep. Yep. overstocked I guess it was with yeah. people doing it. I have a hunch that these were just the two that got caught. Sure. Yeah. So they had to make a point to show the world. This is what happens when. If you get caught doing this, this is what is going to happen to you. Yeah. Yeah. As for the hares, from what I could find, the public was obviously not happy with their immunity. And so they were essentially forced to flee Edinburgh. Yeah. There were reported sightings of them as individuals throughout the area over the course of you know, many years mm-hmm. and rumors have long swirled about how Hare spent his final years after being released from prison on February 5th, 1829. Oh, okay. From stories of Hare becoming a blind beggar on the streets of London, while others insist that he must have continued his crimes after he was freed. But the truth is, is that we'll probably never know. Yeah. The case of Burke and Hare is a fascinating one for many reasons. Firstly, their names are associated as belonging to the worst of the worst body snatchers slash grave robbers slash resurrectionists. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, is that they never once pulled a body from the grave. Yeah. Fueled by greed and devoid of humanity or empathy, these two friends were responsible for taking 17 lives and creating deep chasms of grief in the lives of those who lost a loved one Mm -hmm. for the sum of 10 pounds each. In the wake of their crimes, new legislation was put in place to prevent anything like this from ever happening again. The Anatomy Act of 1832 opened the door for bodies to be donated to medical schools for the sake of studying the human body, ensuring that medical schools would never see a shortage of bodies and that the public at large couldn't be murdered for profit like the victims of Burke and Hare. Mm. For this story, there are countless books and articles, documentaries, living documents and public domain works that you can look into if you want to do a deeper dive into this story. Yeah. But with that, that is what I have for you today. Whew. That, man, that just got wild. Yeah. And not wild in the way that we've had other stories that are really kind of mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. This is more like just, it, it makes me go still, like mm-hmm. just throughout. Like, man. The spiral of it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well. Thanks for listening to the unusual, unsettling, and unsavory story today. This one, definitely the unsavory world mm-hmm. realm. I'm just like, oh gosh. I thought I was going to have a late night snack after this, and now I will not no. have anything to eat because I'm just like, just, just depressed about it. A little, yeah. A little bit a little like, off put. Yeah, off put. That's a better word for it. I'm definitely off put. Well, make sure that you are subscribed on your favorite listening platform to this podcast and leave a glowing five-star review that will help other people find this podcast as well. Make sure that you follow us on social media at this one is a doozy on TikTok and Instagram and this one's a doozy podcast on Facebook. You can also connect with us over on Patreon. My love, why don't you tell them a little bit about Patreon? Yeah, so you can follow the link in our Instagram bio or in our Facebook about section, or you can go to the Patreon website and search this one's a doozy podcast. And for $5 a month, you can support what we're doing with our show. 
You will also get access to ad-free content as well as additional episodes each month. And you'll get access to polls where you can help us decide on episode topics as well as voting on our monthly charity. Mm -hmm. So we love getting to support organizations that lift up victims of violent crimes and their families. And we actually are going to be, by the time this airs, the March options Mm -hmm. for March giving will be live. So head on over there if you'd like to take part in that. Yeah. Well, with that, we will see you next week for another doozy. Thank you. Bye. MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.